Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We are your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome back, weirdos. We are here with episode, I don't know. Number 103. Number 103. Thanks, babe. And so excited, as always, to be here. This week, Andrew is regaling us with a tale. But before we jump into his story of adventure and misadventure, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. I just want to remind you all, if you have not done so already, go ahead and check out the trip. Sign up. For those of you who may not know, we are going to Rome and Florence next year, next spring, 2024. We're going to get to go to a farm in Tuscany. We're going to see so many historical sites throughout Rome and Florence. We're going to be in community. We would love to have you there. Absolutely. That was beautifully said. Couldn't couldn't say better myself. Oh, thank you, my love. And tell me, what are you going to regale us with this week? I'm ready for story time. Oh, yeah. I have quite the story. It's awesome. Yeah? In terms <laughs> of its entertainment value. I'm like, cool, are you going to tell it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave you in suspense for a little bit. <laughs> okay, so story time. Do you remember those old Dos Equis commercials with like the most interesting man in the world? Yes, of course. Okay. They switched the actor at one point, didn't they? They did, yeah, in like 20-something. It was weird. 26, 17, I don't know. But I remember those weird. were epic. He was yes. like... He could ride a horse backwards, upside down, and still steal your wife from under your nose. Right. While smoking cigars with Fidel Castro. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was actually going to explain it because I didn't remember. I didn't think you would know it that well, but clearly you do. (laughs) But for everyone else, all you other weirdos, usually some voiceover is going to detail about how he's such a badass doing really cool things. Yeah. And... There was a real life person who embodied this. I couldn't find any concrete evidence linking the two, but the surface level like similarities are palpable at, okay. at the very least. Very so, cool. Like I, I have a hard time believing like it wasn't inspired by this man, honestly. So there really is a most interesting man in the world? Yes. And who is it? Well, not only that, before I even say his name, even more incredibly is that this individual is also rumored to the very least have partly inspired Ian Fleming's character of James Bond. Oh, that's really cool. Yes. So to say that he was a larger than life figure is probably a huge understatement. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this person's going to have some espionage. Oh, yes. But at the same time, I don't want to give off the impression that this person should be like looked up to. <laughs> and by any stretch of the imagination, despite his list of accomplishments, um, as you'll see, he he definitely did bad things. Ooh. Yes, but don't necessarily take what I'm saying at like just face value either. I'm really trying to paint a picture of like nuance, right? Like good and bad. Okay. And this is like history for weirdos after all. This is historical, so I'm not going to like grandstand, but... You know, I'm also not going to sugarcoat things either. Okay. Because he did cool things, but he also did really bad things. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of figures in yes, history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like after all, yeah, people are complicated, right? And nuance is important when evaluating people's lives and legacies. Agreed. So now that we have that out of the way, let's get into our subject. 
So he was a Dominican diplomat, race car driver, soldier, polo player, and possible assassin. Possible assassin. It's never proved. On top of all of those things? Yes. I'm sorry, race car driver, polo player, what? Soldier. Soldier. Diplomat and possible assassin. Wow. Yes. That's quite a resume. It is. Uh, diplomat is a loose term, but let's not jump ahead of ourselves. I'm going to go into the insane life of Porfirio Rubirosa. Porfirio Rubirosa. Yes. Like the Mexican dictator, Porfirio. There you go. President turned dictator. Hey, there you go. Well, he was friends with a dictator, so. Oh my God, it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected, man. <laughs> so he was born in San Francisco, Oh. De Macoris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I did that, that pause intentionally. I was like, oh, wait. So then he's American. No. So he was yeah, born. This is a, a city in the Dominican Republic. In, and he was born in 1909. He's be old. Yeah, he was he's alive. Old. So his family was like upper middle class. And his ethnic background was Criollo. Or Criollo. Cri- there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which basically just refers to his parents being fully Spanish and or European, you know, despite being from like the Dominican. Actually, that's the class that I was talking about in last week's episode on Malitzen when I was talking about the Spanish caste system. Yes. Wow. That is full circle. So there's Spaniards born in Spain, but then after that being a full Spanish heritage is the Criollos. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So technically he also had like Italian ancestry. So that's why I put like and or European. Yeah. Which it just means you're you're European. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So... This would explain his middle um, or upper middle class background. I even put a little area of like, okay, Stephanie's going to want to interject here. So you already did that. Yeah, it's because of the, which was once a formal caste system that then just became like an informal classist uh, racist system that exists throughout Latin America, where when you have European heritage, it's a lot easier to get shit done. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> I don't, I mean that very sarcastically. Okay. So his father, Pedro was a general and I put quotations around that because okay. he was like the leader of like a local militia group oh, in the wow. Dominican Republic. But his allegiance was at the very least loosely tied to the government, but enough so that he was actually given the assignment of being the ambassador to France. Oh, wow. Which that's is, huge. It's pretty huge. Right? For a militia general? Yes, exactly. Wow. So that's why I put it, you know, in quotations. So he moved with his family to Paris. And this is where Porfirio would spend a significant amount of his time growing up during his youth, specifically from the ages of 6 to 17. Wow. Really formative. Like his whole childhood, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah from 1915 to 1926. Wow. That's interesting, too. I just realized this, that, yeah, he grew up in France during World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you would say, he is, in fact, old. Yeah, that's old. That's old. <laughs> yeah, and he, of course, during this time became proficient in and uh, completely fluent in French. That's really cool. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Especially like growing up there. Yeah, yeah. You're going to school there. Yeah. His French was probably incredible, actually. Yeah. That's the perfect age to learn a second language. I know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a little old for that now. <laughs> You're a little bit past little six bit, to 17. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, and this would make a lot of sense given that throughout his life, he would spend a significant part um, in Paris or, you know, in France. Mm-hmm. Later on? 
throughout his entire life. Oh, he goes there a lot. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. He must really see it as home. Exactly. He definitely does. Mm -hmm. At least at some level, Mm -hmm. because, um, it's important to note that Porfirio's father, Pedro was a notorious womanizer. Well, I'm sorry to our French listeners, but that kind of tracks. <laughs> it does. And <laughs> this, this will make sense later too, given, given his story. Let's just say that. Porfirio's story? Yes. Okay. So dad's living it up in Paris, being a womanizer with his child and possibly wife with him? Yes. No, his wife was with him. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't stop him. <laughs> you know? That is the place to do it. That is true. No, <laughs> Paris. Mm, makes sense. So when Porfirio or Ruby Rosa, as like what I'll call him now, like for the rest of this episode, when he was 17, his family moved back to the Dominican. Mm-hmm. And originally he wanted to study law, but instead actually enlisted in the army for a few years. That's so interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Very different track. And it's here where a chance encounter would change his life forever. Ooh, I love those. Yes. So in 1931, at the age of 22, mm-hmm. Ruby de Rosa was at a country club, and he ended up in the same room as the dictator of the Dominican Republic, Rafael Leonidas Trujillo Molina. Wow. Yeah. I just love that. That full name is is incredible, so I just had to say it. Yeah, that's a really good name. And plus, like, his, his middle name is, like, Leonidas, which is... Leonitis? Was... Let me see. Well, I, I'm doing the, the oh, Greek Leonidas. pronunciation. Yeah, I'm doing the Greek pronunciation. But yeah, like yeah. the, he was the king of Sparta who like famously held the pass at Thermopylae. Mm-hmm. That's an epic name. That sounds kind of like a telenovela villain name. It kind of does, yeah. I'm not going to lie. So if it's well, a dictator. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So and from now on, I'm just going to refer to him as Trujillo. Yeah. So this guy is fairly interesting himself and was known as like a, a generalissimo, which is big general. Yeah. Which like (laughs) I already implied is essentially a military dictator. Yeah. And he would rule in total for 31 years. Wow. But we're not here to talk about Trujillo. Porfirio and the dictator only spoke for a short amount of time. Okay. uh, During this meeting. But what was, what, what, like what was said must have left, a lasting impression because the very next morning Trujillo had Ruby Rosa summoned and immediately promoted him to Lieutenant. Wow. Yes. That's a big deal. Yeah. He's only 22 at this time. Yeah. And his first assignment was to take over command of the dictator's personal guard. Oh my God. How could you, what? Someone you just met and you, and he's 22. Ha- you have that much trust in them. He must have had a of charm yeah uh, and we'll see like he has a lot of charm Let's okay just, we'll put it that way um in his memoirs decades later ruby rosa recalled that trujillo had asked him quote what are you doing with yourself end quote and he said he was going to study to be a lawyer but trujillo told him to come into the presidential guard instead he had him fitted for a uniform which he liked because quote i knew that woman would be attracted to the uniform end quote Damn, that's a man who knows his priorities. Yeah, (laughs) you got to respect it. He's honest. And it wasn't just Trujillo who Ruby Rosa impressed. He also caught the eye of Trujillo's daughter, Flor de Oro Trujillo. No, that's so dangerous. Who was only 17 at the time. (gasps) Oh, no. This could be a novella. They were married the next year. Oh, no. 
And you was the dictator? I'm I'm guessing he's okay with it if they got married. Uh, he wasn't at first. Okay. He, Ruby Rosa had to go into hiding for about a week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a dictator after all. This isn't like you know, president of the United States. This is a dictator. Yeah, he can do whatever he yes. wants. Um, but you know, like after they got married, I, I'm not going to get into like the whole like there was this whole like love story thing. It was a little dramatic, but I'm like, okay, like it's not moving the 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 narrative forward boo tomatoes <laughs> tomatoes tomatoes we love the the romantic drama right weirdos right yeah they probably do but i, I didn't write it down but basically okay i'll give you the footnotes basically he goes into the country because like trujillo wants to kill him mm-hmm. and literally and he hides out for about a week but he was like so insanely bored that he's like i'd rather be dead than this bored and so he contacts oh my god Flor de oro uh, which is a beautiful name, by the way. It's like Golden Flower. Yeah, Flower of Gold. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he goes into like a telephone booth and like calls her up, <laughs> and they kind of like decide like put in like plans to motion to get married, and then Trujillo is like fine with it because they're gonna get married. Right, right. So it's like restoring her honor. Exactly. Uh huh. And so that BS. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, they, then they do, and this really helped Ruby Rosa's position within the government, unsurprisingly. And he was promoted to become one of the country's top ambassadors in 1936 at the age of 27. I see. Okay. So the dictator probably wanted his son-in-law to be someone of reputable standing. Exactly. Yeah. And not only that, he was, I mean, incredibly charming. So he was actually quite good at this. That's, yeah. If you're very charming, diplomacy is a good space for you. Get this though. He would get divorced from Florida Oro the very next year, yet it didn't, in the long term, did not affect his relationship with Trujillo. Again, he, like, it w- their relationship would remain mainly positive with some bumps in the road all the way until Trujillo's death in 1961. Wow. Even yes. though he divorced his daughter? Yes. Trujillo openly told the press that Ruby Rosa was an excellent diplomat because, and I quote, women like him and because he's a liar. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) He's not even trying to hide it. He's not even trying to hide his values, Trujillo. Yeah, he really is. He's like, I respect that women like him. I respect that he knows how to lie. And it's true. He, I mean, literally for the remainder of Trujillo's (laughs) life, he just... He had this guy like just do, going around Europe, around the world, just representing the Dominican. Wow! And I'll get into it more later, like later on when he becomes a little bit more established and his name becomes a little bit more uh, well known. But yeah, that's that's generally what's going on. That's wild. It is. So it's it's actually kind of wild, crazy, because his very first assignment was. The Summer Olympics in Berlin in 1936. Oh my gosh. Yes. So in retrospect, this would have been a very difficult task given the regime that was in charge of Germany at the time. Mm-hmm. Their name rhymes with schmatzies. Yeah. So afterwards, he was stationed mainly in Paris, but moved around quite a bit to Buenos Aires, Rome, and Havana throughout his career oh those would be such fun places to go i know i'll get into each one of those because there's a story behind every single one um 
But this sudden rise through the ranks and his jet-setting lifestyle did not come without a price, and a heavy one at that. Oh, no. So it is rumored, although not necessarily confirmed, that Ruby Rosa was an assassin for Trujillo, eliminating his political enemies whenever ordered. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. That's why he stays friend friendly on good terms with him. This exactly. man literally has killed for him. Yes, and like political enemies at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this allegedly gave him quote-unquote blank checks to allow Ruby Rosa to do essentially what he wanted, and he had expensive tastes. Ooh, same. And we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> also, going back a bit, the reason his first marriage to Florida Oro crumbled was because of his Playboy lifestyle. He cheated on her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He cheated on her, and her dad still was like, that's my boy? He made him look good. Wow. I mean, he's a dictator after at the end of the day, right? Yeah, he may be a dad, but he's he's a dictator. So wow. if this dude makes him look good, but cheats on, you know. His daughter. His daughter. Yeah, you know, that's a price he's willing to pay. It also really just speaks to like the machismo culture where it's like, it's right. expected. Yeah, it's almost respected by other men. Exactly. But it sucks. So she would recall, like Flor de Oro, um, would recall in an interview in the 70s that Ruby Rosa would be out every night in Paris and would not come home until like the wee hours in the morning covered in women's lipstick. Oh my God. When she would confront him about it, he would beat her. No. Yes. The dark side. Yeah. I mean, obviously cheating on someone's terrible as well. Right. But that's that's bad, but this is that's that's unforgivable. Right. And fun fact, both Flor de Oro and Ruby Rosa would go on to have a combined 12 other spouses between the two of them. Wow. So they really like getting married. They really did. Even though it was went so terribly the first time. Yes. That's another thing. I wonder I understand like the mentality of like, oh yeah, he cheated on my daughter, but like that's what I don't understand like I don't agree with it, but I get the the thought process there of like, oh, that's what men do, we cheat, but I wonder, like, to lay hands on your daughter. I feel like that would be so different. I mean... I wonder if he knew. I know a lot of, obviously, uh, women cover that up. It's in... There's another... It's not the only woman he beats. Um, And I'll get into it in a little bit. But the end of the 1930s was a little bit of a tough time for Porfirio Rubirosa. So Ruby, as he was affectionately known to his friends, was unable to return to the Dominican because... Trujillo, at this point in time, like right after the divorce, was pretty pissed Mm -hmm. and would have probably had him killed. Mm -hmm. So um, it seemed, again, that this was much more personal and, again, was also only temporary. I mean, after all, Rubirosa was an important asset to the Dominican government, and we'll, we'll get into that more like as time goes on in this episode. But his expensive lifestyle was now no longer bankrolled by his wealthy wife, and he mm-hmm. only had his normal salary, which, let's be honest, wasn't going to cut it at this time. Yeah. It's probably still like a government salary. Exactly. It was. So he started down a path of shady business dealings. And honestly, describing these activities as quote unquote business is very generous. Um, Ruby Rosa started selling Dominican visas to Jewish folks wishing to flee Europe. Because oh. again, this is the, the late 1930s. It's, yes. A lot of people saw the writing on the wall in Germany. Yeah. So, 
And, you know, he was selling these at a pretty exorbitant price. Oh, taking advantage of desperate people. Yes. I mean, to be clear, he was abusing his power, dealing in corrupt activities to personally enrich himself off the backs of people fleeing persecution, just to be crystal clear. Yeah. I mean, this is a person who obviously has, I would say, no moral compass so far. <laughs> yeah, like he wasn't, he didn't necessarily in joy inflicting pain like a, a psychopath but at the same time he didn't if you got in his way like he would have no qualms about removing you that's terrible yes um there was another scheme of his um in which he engaged in smuggling under the auspice of diplomatic immunity Oh, wow. In, in this scenario, in one scenario in particular, a jeweler who had fled Spain when the Civil War broke out asked Ruby Rosa to retrieve his store's inventory. And after returning from Spain, Ruby concocted just this wildly improbable story involving an attack by snipers, even though his car didn't have a single bullet hole in it. Uh-huh. And approximately $180,000 thousand dollars worth of inventory was missing from the hall or roughly about like four million dollars in today's money wow yeah that's a lot so reportedly the profits from this theft paid for a nose job handmade shoes bespoke underpants shift or shift over from germain street and haircuts from the best barbers in paris he got a nose job <laughs> yeah apparently okay so in 1939, Trujillo, seemingly out of the blue, forgave Ruby Rosa and called him up to tell him, hey, my wife and 10-year-old son, Ramfis, who would be a future dictator himself, Damn. were traveling to Paris and they needed a tour guide. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't know why. He's just like, eh, okay, enough time. Wow. The dictator sounds psychopathic. Yeah. He's a military dictator. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like, the obviously that, but you hear the behavior... And the flippant emotions and things like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. So apparently he was such a great guy that Trujillo visited Paris himself the very next month. Wow. Yeah. And this is how Ruby Rosa would describe the experience later on. Quote, Trujillo wanted me to show him the most elegant places in Paris without rice and beans. I took him to the restaurant in the Eiffel Tower and there was such a beautiful woman there selling postage stamps that Trujillo had sex with her right there on the tower. A month later, I was named the commercial attaché to France. End quote. What? <laughs> I mean, the, also so the way... so absurd. It's so absurd. The way he writes, like, like I'll quote his memoirs like, kind of throughout this episode. It's just kind of absurd, the, the things he writes. That's crazy. Yeah. So... I want to take a pause on the narrative just to explain what Trujillo like actually did. Ruby Rosa, like, or I'm sorry, not Trujillo, Ruby Rosa. Uh, he essentially did zero work for the Dominican Republic's government. Mm -hmm. Is it the Dominican Republic at this point? Because yes. you've referred to it as the Dominican. Oh, yeah. The D Dominican. I, I use this interchangeably. Oh, but okay. It's the Dominican Republic. It's the same government. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's Trujillo's government. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ruby Rosa, like, was officially a diplomat, but he didn't do anything, mm -hmm. really, like, in an official capacity, like, act, like true diplomatic work, right? And not only did he get away with this, Trujillo more than, like, more than likely knew about it. 
Well, because it's fine with it. It sounds like the diplomacy aspect is just to cover for the assassinations. Exactly. And that's why I think people think about that. There is also another side to this, which is like he did actually like his one command to Ruby Rosa, like officially, this is official, was that he had to have a Dominican flag like uh, displayed prominently whenever he threw lavish parties. Okay. Because it made Trujillo look good. Yeah, that's those are priorities, priorities right there. Priorities, indeed. <laughs> so, and he would attend many a party at the Moulin Rouge and attend CD cabarets in the city's Latin Quarter. Yeah, that would have been the really like truly quite a time to see Paris. Exactly, and, and party. I mean, that was literally his job was to party. Wow. Yeah. So, in the fall of 1940, shortly after Nazi Germany had steamrolled the French and mm. Allied British, like the French and allied British army and captured Paris. Ruby Rosso was invited by the Count de Lemour to a swanky cocktail party to honor France's highest paid actor at the time, 23 year old Danielle Derieux. Hmm. After the party, de Lemour asked Ruby Rosa to drive the actress home, but warned her first that he was a dangerous man. Okay. And this is a theme that you that will happen throughout this enti- his entire life. Okay. Except, so the count's like, oh, he could drive you home, but be careful. He's a dangerous man. Literally, yes. Okay. Yeah. So Ruby Rosa was enthralled by the actress. He later wrote, quote, it was like a spring has sprung. An internal voice told me, caramba, how I like this woman. We dined together a couple of days later at Maxim's, and when we met next... We knew we would never be separated again. We decided to marry as soon as we were free, end quote. Oh, damn. But it sounds like they would be separated again. (laughs) (laughs) You have a correct inclination. Yeah. (laughs) So they wouldn't get married until 1942 because Ruby Rosa was placed under house arrest for a time because, weirdly enough, of his anti-Nazi viewpoints. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Luckily for him, however, the hotel where he was confined to, more or less, was right next to a ski resort, so he got to practice his skiing for like five to six months. Wow, that really sounds like... It was really tough. A really tough time of imprisonment for him. Exactly. So he was eventually released only because Darius agreed to make a promotional trip to Berlin. Oh... So it was rumored that Darius was a Nazi sympathizer, and as the war started to turn against the Axis powers, their lives started to become more endangered. Um, mm. In fact, Darius and Ruby Rosa were ambushed while driving in Paris. Mm. And three bullets hit Ruby near his kidneys as he threw his body over Darius to protect her. Mm-hmm. Um, what's amazing is that they both survived despite driving in an open car, which, you know, think like a convertible yeah. with the top down. Yeah. So, and at this point, realizing that Paris wasn't safe, they moved to the small town of Sepetule, about 30 miles west of Paris, where they would live for the next few years until after the war. Wow. Yeah. So, he is in danger because of his anti-Nazi beliefs, and she's in danger because of her pro-Nazi leanings. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard. The timeline is a little bit tough, but we think over time, because remember, like, I'm not necessarily sure why he held anti-Nazi views at the beginning because later on, like because of her, like he would be associated with like 
as being a Nazi sympathizer. Wow. So he's like, man, he's just getting like screwed from both ends of the spectrum. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's dark. Yeah, exactly. So Ruby Rosa became a gentleman farmer tending his cow, two pigs, and six sheep. And he even learned how to milk the cow during this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's very, like looking at this part of his life, like in the context of his entire life, it's, it's very odd. Yeah, like, it sounds very tame for him. It is, yes. And he, they did have lots of guests come and visit, and whenever they did, they they brought usually cognac and weapons. Okay, that's that's always what a guest should... You can't show up empty-handed. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, as we all know, the war would eventually end, um, and the couple would move to Italy, specifically in Rome, where Ruby Rosa would... St- like stay for just a little while because that was like he had a, a post there. Okay. And shameless plug: if you haven't signed up for a trip and want to go, sign up to the link in bio, and <laughs> we will also go to Rome. We can also be there, just and, like in this story. Exactly. Okay. Plug end. So reportedly, right after the couple had moved, Dariu, and I mean this is like days later, Dariu was interviewed by a reporter from Harper's Bazaar in their hotel room. So this reporter was a woman named Doris Duke, who was the heiress to the $100 million American tobacco fortune. Oh my God. Yes. Wait a second. I think you know where this is going. Is Ruby Rosa going to try to catch a bigger fish? Ruby later remembered, quote, (laughs) the three of us had breakfast. She... Duke seemed lively, jovial, with that je ne sais quoi that American women can have. Little did I know that a few months later, I would be completely controlled by her. <laughs> Until then, I had been happy with Danielle, but at this moment, things started to change. Oh my God. Eye roll. <laughs> I knew you would hate that so much. <laughs> oh my God. So interestingly, Duke allegedly paid Darius a million dollars to bow out of the marriage. Whoa. That's over $14 million in today's money. That's insane. Yes. She's that loaded. $14 million. Divorce your spouse so I can have him. Yes. Wow. So they were married on September 1st, 1947, only about a year after they first met. And they they made an interesting pair as Ruby Rosa was kind of a short king, right? He was only about 5'8", maybe 5'9". Okay. And his wife, Doris was six foot oh my goodness yes she was really tall she was very tall wow and duke was an intelligent woman as she required ruby rosa to sign a prenup before they wed good 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 very smart very smart (laughs) which ruby rosa eventually did but he was pissed about it at first unsurprisingly yeah and he did it when he was like pissed drunk uh-huh. Like he's like, fine, give me the paper, I'll sign it. Yes. Yeah. He so, sounds lovely. <laughs> well, apparently he was incredibly suave. Yeah, and, but it was to cover, it sounds like a really dark side to him. I mean, yes. physically harming his first wife is really, really dark. And right. And she was the daughter of your boss. Yeah, of your country's dictator. Like he... He really sounds like he's overcompensating for something. Well, we'll get into it, but it's not that. 
we'll get into it. But um, so over the course of their four year marriage, he received many presents from his new wife, including a check for five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Which, again, at this point would have been roughly seven million dollars in today's money. A stable full of ponies, <laughs> several sports cars, a converted B-25 bomber. Why? Because why not? Mm. And a three-story 17th century hotel particulier in Paris. Damn. I feel like I could do without most of those except for the big check and the ponies. I kind of like the hotel particulier. Yeah? Why? It's just basically like a mansion, like in the form of a townhouse, mm-hmm. like in the middle of Paris. It's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, if it was me, I'd choose Rome. Right. We know that. We know that. That's not even. <laughs> but where are you going to put the ponies? I have a stable. In like, the middle of Paris? No, no. The stable is like not part of this. It's like separate. Mm, I'm going to go has, live with the ponies. He has, no, no, no. But it's like in the middle, not in the middle of nowhere, but it's kind of out and about. It's a polo ground. So it's mm. like big, wide, giant fields. I understand. But I would like to live with the ponies. I'm want, sticking by my decision. Well, I'm going to, I want both. <laughs> so fun fact, um, in this house, the Hotel Particulier, uh, he converted the third floor to a boxing ring slash bar. Just for himself? His Himself and his buddies. His Mojo Dojo Casa House? It, it literally <laughs> is like a Mojo Dojo Casa House. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. That's incredible. It really is. It's like a, it was a real life Mojo Dojo Casa House. Oh my God. How did I not get that? Oh, anyways. Trujillo was so impressed with Ruby Rosa's new wife. Oh my God. Because it made him look good by proxy, right? Right, right. He's like, that's my guy. That's my boy. He's yeah. married this like this absurdly wealthy American woman. And he now has even like, he has a ton of toys. Yeah. Um, And he basically offered Ruby Rosa uh, his pick of any ambassadorship. Wow. Any. And what did he pick? So before we get into it, like in the U.S., we would call this corruption, but it was pretty cool for Ruby Rosa. So he picked Argentina, mainly because polo was apparently fairly popular there. Wow. He has his priorities straight here. He's like, you know what? I got a bunch of ponies, and ever since then, I've been really into polo. I hear they like polo in Argentina. You know what? I'll go there. Yes, exactly. Wow. And this would actually set him up for the first of his numerous, like, very high-profile extramarital affairs. What? Yeah, because he's had extramarital affairs before at this time, but this is the first high-profile one. Oh, my God. There's levels to this. There's levels. And the woman is the wife of Argent- the Argentine president, Eva Perón. Oh, my goodness. That is very high-profile. Indeed. So, which, according to the grandson of Trujillo, was orchestrated to extract information about the Argentine president to see, like you know, what his deal was. So Tru- Trujillo's grandson is arguing the affair was like political in nature, so to speak. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, we planned that. We knew he could seduce the president's wife so that we could get information. Pretty much, yeah. That's nuts. That's so wild. It is. It's insane. Um, You know, despite what was seemingly a good time... <laughs> Ruby Rosa actually longed to return to Europe. Okay. Yeah, his life sounds rough. It's so rough. And it probably didn't help that he and Duke weren't having a great marriage. 
Okay. So they both had very strong personalities, and Duke wanted Ruby Rosa at her side at all time, whereas Ruby Rosa was fiercely independent. Yeah. So that's the, one way to put it. <laughs> and the last straw in their marriage is pretty epic. Um, she caught him in bed with none other than his first wife while they were in Capri. What? Yes. Oh my God. This man is the, like such a hot mess. He is, <laughs> he is chaos incarnate. He is chaos. Like inc- he is like the devil. He really is. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. But interestingly, they never had a bad word to say about each other. Okay. So, in fact, when Duke was on her deathbed in the 90s, she had two framed photographs on her nightstand. One of her boyfriend at the time, and the other one was Ruby Rosa. That's wild. Yeah. Ruby Rosa was really good at acquiring money to fund his lifestyle through certain means. But I would not necessarily say he was a good businessman. In fact, he was a terrible businessman. He's too hedonistic to be a good businessman. Exactly. I mean, the best example of this was in 1952 when he self-funded a hunt for sunken treasure off the coast of the Dominican. (laughs) To say it didn't go well is an understatement. I mean, just to sum it all up, he had to bail his crew from jail for public drunkenness. He had to fight off a mutiny. And then he also had to deal with his ship sinking before they made any progress. They made like zero progress. Oh my God. And by the end of it, he was out (laughs) $250,000. And this was in 1952 money. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of dough. That's a lot of money to blow on a, like a dream, a whim. Yeah. Like a failed, like treasure expedition. Yeah. Treasure hunt. Excuse me. It's because he's very impulsive. You can tell. Yeah. Incredibly impulsive. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he hates boredom. Like Mm -hmm. he'd rather be dead than be bored. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. It didn't really matter because he essentially got blank checks from Trujillo because Ruby Rosa was incredibly good PR. Um, It might not seem like it by today's standard, but these shenanigans were pretty much glamorized at the time, like his exploits. Yeah, of course. It's um, the height of masculinity, right? All these things that he's doing. Yeah, his his antics and his Playboy lifestyle, I'd say, was even revered. Yeah, and it's like wild stories to tell about like a guy that sounds almost too outlandish to be real. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and while we're on the subject, we're actually going to pause on the narrative and really look at what made him so you know successful. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, his list of rumored female companionships is off the charts. So I already mentioned Eva Perone, but here's a partial list of the woman whom he was linked to romantically in addition. So you have Marilyn Monroe. Of course. Ava Gardner, Jane Mansfield, Tina Onassis, Joan Crawford, Queen Soroya of Iran. Oh my God. Contessa Nicola Gambi of Italy, Zsa Gabor, Dolores de Rio, (gasps) Eartha Kitt, Maria Montez, Rita Hayworth, Dorothy Dandridge, Lupe Velez, Soraya Esfandiari, Peggy Hopkins, uh, Peggy Hopkins Joyce, excuse me, Veronica Lake, Kim Novak, Judy Garland, Amalia Rodriguez, Countess Marita of Spain, and Queen Alexandra of Yugoslavia. That is insane. All of those names are wild. You mentioned multiple instances of royalty. Yes. And so many big Hollywood actresses. Like 
Hollywood icons. Judy Garland, Veronica Lake. Also, funny enough, I actually have a book. Uh, you mentioned Dolores del Rio. She's a Mexican actress that broke into Hollywood. Yeah. Like the first one. I have a book about her life. I wonder if he's going to be in it. Ooh. That would be interesting. Yes. Wow. So this guy got around. I mean, he was an active guy. He was an active guy. <laughs> like Mark Anthony. Yes. <laughs> So what made him so successful with the opposite sex was his playful Latin charm, as described. As described by who? Like Different sources? His, yeah, his female companions. Oh, I see. Yes. Apparently, he was an incredible listener, and it didn't matter if the most beautiful woman in the world walked in the room, he would not avert his, avert his gaze. Mm. He would make women feel like she was the only one in the room. Until she left the room and then he'd get on to the next one. Yes. <laughs> and clearly he also had a sense of an incredible adventure, which I can imagine also was very alluring, right? He sounds like an absolutely terrible man, but I could see how if you're just meeting him and you're meeting like the surface level version of him, he sounds like like a hero in a novel or something or like... Well, get this. It's crazy. I mean... There was one woman he met and this woman immediately went to tell her mom, oh yeah, I met this guy mm -hmm. and then you know, said his name. She immediately said, no, like stay away from him. He is dangerous, right? Oh. And then apparently <laughs> like a few days later, he just had a single dance with the mom and the mom gave her the two thumbs up. Yeah. He, it would be very, it would have been very interesting to do some psychological evaluations on Ruby Rosa. <laughs> I know. As like a test subject, you'd, you probably are just so enthralled. I really, really wish I could. Yes. I bet his memoir would give good data though. And the last thing, he was, and how do I put this, very well endowed. Okay. To like, <laughs> like Truman Capote even wrote about it. Um, so the, notoriously yeah notorious the only thing I will add before I put this subject to rest is that at the restaurant Maxim's in Paris mm, named, famous yeah yeah it's very famous in fact it's probably the most famous restaurant in the world in the 50s mm -hmm. um, it, they named their pepper grinders after him and even to this day call them Ruby Rosas oh no yeah so <laughs> just, yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that <laughs> Some like PG thirteen slash rated R imagery. Yeah, for pepper grinder. I know, seriously. I, of all things, too, pepper grind. Like, really? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Anyways, so also his daily routine at, at around this time deserves to be discussed because it was just so absurd. This is actually something you may not know about me, but it's like um a niche hyperfixation I have is I love learning the daily routines of like historical figures i did not know that yeah well, this is gonna make me really happy <laughs> so typically like he led a incredibly leisurely life right when he wasn't traveling so typically he would rise at noon damn i know right like damn dude i'm up like literally six hours before that so i think i hate you first of all yeah <laughs> But he would rise at noon, spending an hour on his grooming, which included massaging honey on his face. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the 50s after all. It's, it's used in facials and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he took his skincare like very seriously, very seriously, which he I'm would, sure you would be, you're giving him the thumbs up on that. I give him the thumbs up on nothing, but uh, he would love <laughs> nothing on nothing in life. He would love TikTok though. TikTok tells you all about skincare routines. Yeah, he would. He would love that. He definitely would. And then he would drive his blue Ferrari to the Bagatelle Polo Club to exercise his string of ponies. Okay. I give the ponies a thumbs up. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But by five o'clock, he was drinking scotch with his buddies in hotel bars. And so reportedly, Ruby Rosa could down an entire fifth by himself during these binges. Like it was nothing. Oh my God. Yeah. And like (laughs) a fifth, and and then he would just go out and party more. Right. That's like his pregame. Yeah, exactly. But by 2 a.m., he used to say, quote, the lizard that sleeps in every man's brain comes out to play, end quote. And let's just say he became interested in the fair sex at this point. The lizard. Yeah, I got that, actually. Yeah. That's where his hedonism takes another turn. Exactly. And since he didn't work, he would spend much of the next day recovering and just chilling. And then like the day after that, just rinse and repeat. Let me tell you, his routine's very different than Ben Franklin's. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> or Patrick Bateman's. Or Patrick Bateman's skincare routine. No, they would have gotten along really well, I think. When yeah, the the honey rubbing the honey on his face and taking an hour to groom himself. I'm like, that reminds me of Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Yeah. Some other someone else that had a really interesting routine, since you asked, Andrew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Maya Angelou, when she was writing. If she was writing, she had a very austere routine that pretty much just involved like getting uh, a room to herself. So sometimes she'd like go to a hotel or rent an apartment just to write. And she would give herself pretty much nothing except like water, wine, bread, and a deck of cards to entertain herself in between writing. Wow. And then she would just write all day. Wasn't there like a Latin American writer who who famously just di- did something similar, but it was coffee, cigarettes? Yeah. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the Colombian oh, yeah. writer. Yeah. He's like one of your favorites. Yeah. Oh, he, I didn't know it was him. When he would write, he would binge write as well. And he would lock himself up in his apartment in Mexico City and just like chain smoke cigarettes and drink coffee until the book was done. Man, that was, that's such a like a 1950s or even 1920s kind of Kind of image. Yeah. yeah. I know. I could never, no. <laughs> never survive I'd that like, way. I'm sorry. I'm actually part of Hydration Nation. <laughs> I need some water. I need some water. I, know, I, I drink like literally like about three quarters of a gallon a day. Yeah. So I, I need my water. I would need snacks for yeah. sure. <laughs> so his numerous exploits just made him like even more desirable, I right. think. And he quickly started a very public affair with the aforementioned Zsa Gabor. The Hungarian actress. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even though she herself was getting divorced, she would not marry him. Yeah. And Smart. In fact... She infamously admitted that he hit her. A lot of old Hollywood actresses that we would think of were in abusive relationships, unfortunately. It was really commonplace all over the world. Women have been living in those types of situations for a really long time. Yeah. That's so sad. It is sad. So, in fact, it's kind of at this time, though, that his playboy antics are reaching their peak because he was called as a witness to not one but two divorces what because he slept with both women in each case yes i I got it one of them being jaja kabor okay (laughs) and uh, since he 
you know, was angered by Gabor's refusal to marry him, he instead went ahead and married the extraordinarily wealthy 40-year-old Barbara Hutton, the granddaughter of F.W. Woolworth. Wow. Yeah. I should also mention that Trujillo um, revoked his position in Paris at this around this time because he was getting sick of his antics, allegedly. The details aren't really clear. He was jealous. Exactly why. Maybe. I mean, yeah, he's he's a dictator. He on a whim. He's just like, you know what? I'm done with you. Like, I'm sick of your antics, even though I loved them two months ago. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, back to Ruby Rose and Hutton. Their marriage lasted eight weeks. Oof. From December 1953 to February of 1954. And during that time, she got him the largest coffee plantation in the Dominican Republic, apart from Trujillo's, of course, 40 suits, 20 pairs of shoes, eight polo ponies, and an airplane. He gets a lot of ponies. So this was the exact, the the airplane was the exact same model that Duke had given to him earlier, but he had already crashed it at this point. I see. He got a lot in just eight weeks. Oh, and she also gave him $2.5 million in cash. What? Do you think just to like leave without asking for more? No, just because that's crazy well thank goodness she got away from him all in all the marriage cost hutton about over sixty six thousand dollars per day that's so disgusting interestingly uh he tried to get gabor back at this time and even tried to hack it as an actor to do this Mm. one of the like very few times he actually like like did like work (laughs) and Weirdly enough, though, INS, like American Immigration, denied him permission to be in movies saying that he had no previous acting experience. But it's like, but everyone at some point doesn't have previous acting experience. I wonder if it just had more to do with his assassin background. It probably did. Yeah. Yeah, because the U.S. uh, federal government was well aware of, and I'll even get into it in a little bit, but they're well aware. So... He continued to have fun in California, though, apparently driving cars at over 100 miles per hour on Sunset Boulevard and through Beverly Hills, Mm. you know. And also, I didn't mention this, uh, but at some point during this time, he actually entered the the F1 formula races. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he competed in one of them in in, in the early 50s. Wow. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of um, because I think his stint as like a race car driver was really short. Yeah. So like it. I, I didn't even like put it in my notes, but just so you guys know, that was a thing. <laughs> I know it's, it's just insane. So, but it's interesting because at this point we also hit a turning point in the story where his playboy antics are starting to go on the decline a little bit and sort of oh. disappear because in May of 1956, when he was living back in Paris, he met then 17 year old Odile Rodile Rodin who was an up-and-coming actress. No, no, no. He must be in his 40s. He is 31 years her senior. Oh, my God. So, yeah, he's in his late 40s. Oh, my God. That's so icky. He would write about this meeting with her by saying, quote, I fell in love with her the first moment I saw her. She was young, fresh, so beautiful, and again, a certain mysteriousness, end quote. That was really gross. Yeah, I know. I, when I wrote that, I was like, oh, or like put in my notes, like, dude, that's, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. 
So they would later marry, and um, this is the only one of his wives where there isn't any like recorded um, instances of him cheating on her. Mm-hmm. I say recorded, though. Yeah, yeah. There's no like public infidelity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the following year, he became the ambassador to Cuba, and it's here where he would actually witness the Cuban Revolution casually. Oh, my God. He's just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Castro apparently loved ruby rosa i am so shocked i know right i'm so shocked that those two psychos got along (laughs) no seriously (laughs) i was like dude that's i'm not even surprised and especially because it doesn't even matter that like you know um trujillo was like seen as like kind of like a right-wing military dictator and obviously castro is a communist yeah doesn't matter doesn't matter like and i guess yeah like what uh what's his face um, Ruby Rosa was not a uh, was not political, right? He didn't care. Like, yes, I definitely can see that. Yeah. He just cares about what he wants. Yeah, he could like he could work for a far he's left. Not, he could work for far right. It doesn't matter. He's not moved by ideology. Exactly. Yeah, that's very. He's like the Joker in that way. Mm-hmm. So funny enough, though, the ousted Cuban dictator showed up out of the blue. Batista. On, Batista. Yeah. Trujillo's doorstep, which enraged him, and he blamed it on Ruby Rosa for not like letting him know. I mean, Ruby Rosa's too busy partying with Castro. Yeah. How's he well, gonna know where Batista even, is? Like, even his wife at the time, who was like twenty, was uh-huh. like, "How? Like, how would you know? Like, first of all, how would he even know? And second of all, like, even if he did know, what is he gonna do? Stop him? Yeah, no, he's not gonna do that. Batista was on his way to the U.S., right? I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, funny, yeah. So then, like that happened, and it's now that Ruby Rosa would receive his last ambassadorship, actually, to Belgium. And he did that partially because his wife was missing her family. Oh, was she Belgian? Uh, no, she wasn't Belgian. I think, I think she's no, she's French, but it's just right. It's there. closer. Yeah, yeah. Like, French-speaking country. Yeah, exactly, close yeah. enough. Yeah. And so, things were not going well for Trujillo back at home at this time and actually on may 30th 1961 he was assassinated by revolutionaries wow yeah whoa but his son becomes a dictator later yes his son succeeded him and immediately uh, ruby rosa went to hang out with none other than john f kennedy um, <laughs> oh my god this dude knows everybody <laughs> i know president john f kennedy to get him to back Trujillo's son. It's uh, Ramfis, the guy who visited him in Paris. like When he was like prior. 10 years old. Yeah, exactly. It's that same guy. And, but before anything could ever even get finalized, like they were on a cruise together for like, like on JFK's boat. Oh my God. <laughs> they know. were talking about Marilyn Monroe. Probably. They're like, what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> so, but before like anything could get finalized, the son, Ramfis, took hundreds of, of millions of dollars from the treasury and fled the country. Wow. That's that's quite a move. <laughs> I know. I mean, even Ruby Rosa was like, that's a POS move and actually <laughs> never spoke to him again. Okay. So he didn't end up maintaining that loyalty to the son. No. Yeah. He did at first, but then when he was like, because he, he told him, do not leave. Like, do not flee. Like, I'm doing, I'm doing this for you. And he still did it. Mm-hmm. So then that's why he saw it as a POS move. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he would care otherwise, but since he stuck his neck out for him, that's why yes. he cares. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. So this was a major setback for Ruby Rosa because he, like the new government mm-hmm. in the Dominican, 
uh, revoked his his uh, <laughs> diplomatic immunity. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's got to happen. <laughs> so immediately, because now he doesn't have that immunity, he was questioned by the New York yeah. District Attorney about the disappearance of Trujillo's opponents, Sergio Ben Bencosme in 1935 and Jesus Galindez. In 1956. Yeah. So, yeah, these were, what, 21 years apart. Yeah, what happened to these two guys? Hmm? We don't know. They disappeared. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have enough, like, on him. So, right. they just, they didn't, like, they let him go. I mean, imagine the forensics. Yeah. Nothing. This is the 50s. Like, yeah. Or, no, I mean, early 60s at this point. Like, it's, And the crimes were committed, you said, 30s and 50s? Yeah. So, like, the yeah, 1935 and 1956. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. They probably knew it was him, but there's nothing they can do to prove it. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and his life started to go a little downhill at this point as his, you know, kind of playboy lifestyle was catching up with him. Mm-hmm. Lots of his friends were just not as willing to party all day and night with, and Ruby Rosa had such an aversion to work, so he would never do that. Ew. Yeah, so, <laughs> and I, I, I wrote that specifically, like, aversion to work because that's exactly what it was yeah he didn't want to do that and his friends are like dude we're too old for this man like what are you doing and he had even more failed businesses including a perfume line and an aphrodisiac drink oh my that god that just went nowhere and cost him a ton of money dude and to boot he also had a failed movie that was essentially a ripoff of ironically the james bond movie goldfinger Oh, he must have if he must have thought this is a rip off of me. Exactly. So I'm going to rip this off and make a movie. I think so. It sounds like he wanted a way to get rich quick so that he could avoid work cuz this man literally can't do anything but care about himself. He yeah, he wanted a party and That's it. That's it, really. Yeah. I mean, really that's kind of So it. how can I get rich quick so I can keep partying? Yeah. Yeah, but he has no business sense. No, none at all. So we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of our epic here. But the, in 1965, like after celebrating his team winning the Coupe de France, like polo tournament, mm-hmm. he was in Paris with his teammates, friends, and his wife, like celebrating. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was talking to her about his deepest fear that night, growing old. Mm. And side note, uh, when he would take these excursions into the city, he almost would never drive his Ferrari when he, he knew he would be drinking. But this time he did. Okay. Even though he knew, like, he, he's out celebrating. He's drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did go into town that night. And uh, his wife left, like, earlier in the night. But he basically stayed there partying until the morning. Mm-hmm. And on his way home, he crashed his car into a tree at around 8 a.m., most likely, like, dying instantly. Wow. Yeah. How old was he? He was 56 years old, and he had lived a life of debauchery and insanity that would inspire and horrify future generations. Wow. Yeah. And when you look at this man's life, like, it's hard to kind of keep an objective measure because Mm -hmm. he was a womanizer, a possible Nazi collaborator, and just a general charlatan, Mm -hmm. right? But he had such grace, elegance, and such a suave nature that it's it's kind of easy to look past all of that. Um, yeah. And not to mention possibly influencing the James Bond franchise is, I mean, that's incredible. 
Yeah, his charm sounds pathological. Yeah, it, it was. It was like most women, like when they were getting interviewed, described it as like infectious. Yeah. Like he, when he walked into a room, like he radiated magnificence. Yeah. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet he did. I bet that he's really honed in on that at a young age. I think so. I'd yeah. imagine that watching his dad be a womanizer in Paris growing up really affected him and there's probably some terrible things that happened oh yeah for him to be so amoral exactly yeah i think so well yeah and regardless like this has been the life and legacy of porfirio rubirosa like the most notorious playboy of the 20th century the guy that inspired the old spice commercials damn no most interesting man in the world the dozakis Wow. And that's possibly. I messed that up. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't Old Spice also have something like that? Yeah. But not as cool. Not as cool. Not as cool as the Dos Equis ones. You're yeah. right. You're right. Oh my gosh. That was a wild ride. That was. Yeah. And before I forget, the sources I have were um, All That Is Interesting, an incredible Vanity Fair article that I, that was actually kind of my big saving grace for this episode, uh, The Gentleman's Journal. Thrillist, The Rake, and of course, Wikipedia. The Rake? The Rake, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. That was like incredible and horrible. I know, right? That's what I mean. It was like, it's incredible to listen to it, but like you don't, I wouldn't want to live this life. I wouldn't want to ever know this man. No. That's terrifying. I'm I'm glad you don't want to know him either. (laughs) (laughs) But wow, that like, it just sounds like a movie literally it does or like a myth even like a guy that's like an amalgamation of a bunch of like uh suave adventurous guys yes exactly you know what i mean like it doesn't sound like it could all be one person that's exactly what i think as well but it it but it is yeah Yeah. it is was i'm very very surprised having heard this story from you that someone hasn't made a movie i know or if it, they have it, not like a big like feature production. Yeah, because that that is like great for the big screen. I know. Oh my god, it would be incredible. Like I would definitely watch this in theaters. Yeah, yeah. And I there, I can't say that about too many movies nowadays. Yes, I mean, for and it spans his like debauchery spans decades. Decades. And it's international. It's all over the world. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. Well, thank you so much for this week's episode, babe. Yes, it was my pleasure. I This guy was fascinating to research. This story was so, so weird because of all the reasons we already said. But he's definitely not the good kind of weirdo. No. I, I should have said that at the beginning. Well, I kind of did. Uh, I at least, very least implied it. He's not a good weirdo. <laughs> and I don't want to make that very clear. Um, even though I said I, I'd have nuance and... Uh, but I, I'm speaking now from like my own personal bias. Like I don't, I think it would be hard to make the argument, the argument that, that he's a like good. a good weirdo. Yeah. yeah. I do not think so. I think he did some really cool things, but like I wouldn't say he was a good person. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. That was wild. I've never heard of this. Weirdos, let us know if you had heard of this before. Cause that's right. nuts. You can let us know on Instagram, actually, if you don't follow us on Instagram already. Yeah. That's the place to be. That's where we share some behind the scenes and updates and things like that. We share images from the episode. 
So check us out on Instagram at History for Weirdos if you haven't done so. Absolutely. Thank you again, Andrew. And thank you, Weirdos, as always, for listening. It means so, so much to us. It really does, guys. It means the world. And like the messages you send us, um, even though we don't get to all of them, and I apologize, I wish we could, but yeah. we, it's just there's too many. Like, at the very least like we see them and we love them thank you guys so much yeah that's that's a really sweet thing to say totally thank you guys so much and until next time until next time weirdos adios did i ever tell you about the time that my dad said don't ever have kids they'll ruin your life you did (laughs) what do you think you meant by that i don't know